Good morning, everyone. Let's stand together. Let's worship the Lord. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Sing it again. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us, forgive us. As we forgive the ones who sin against us, forgive them. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let your kingdom come. Sing, Father. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done on earth as in heaven. Right here in my heart. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven. Right here in my heart. Give us this day. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us. Forgive us. We forgive the ones who sin against us. Forgive them. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let your kingdom come. It's yours. It's yours. All yours. All yours. The kingdom, the power, the glory are yours. It's yours. It's yours. All yours, all yours, forever and ever. The kingdom is yours. It's yours, it's yours. All yours, all yours. The kingdom, the power, the glory are yours. It's yours, yes, it's yours, yes, all yours, all yours. Let's put those hands together, church. Father, let your kingdom come. Come on. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Once again, Father. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. Earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Oh, Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. Earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. On earth, earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. One more time now. Earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Amen. My 
my Jesus. Thank you, church. My Savior, for there is none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, my shelter,
song we'd like to introduce to you and I was going to write this fancy drawn out introduction but I thought no I'm going to let the lyrics do the talking the lyrics are going to declare the truth here, the truth of God's word which will lead us to praise him it goes like this there's a reason why the curse of sin is broken there's a reason why the darkness runs from life. There's a reason why we stand here now forgiven. Jesus is alive. There's a reason. There's a reason why we are not overtaken. There's a reason why we sing all through the night. There's a reason why our hope remains eternal. Jesus is alive. All right. Praise the King, everyone. Praise the King. He is risen. Praise the King. He's alive. Oh, praise the King. Death defeated, hallelujah, he's alive, hallelujah, he's alive. There's a reason why our hearts can be courageous, there's a reason why the dead are made alive. There's a reason why we share His resurrection. Jesus is alive. He is alive. Oh, we praise the King. Praise the King. He is risen. Praise the King. He is alive. Oh, praise the King. Grave could not ignore it. All of heaven's roaring. Hell, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The world could not ignore it. When all the saints are roaring. Hell, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The grave could not ignore it. When all of heaven's roaring, hell, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The world could not ignore it. And all the saints are roaring, hell, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The 
church. Have a seat for a second. All right. Good morning, everybody. Glad you're with us today. Uh, Really good to see all you guys. If you're joining us either from YouTube or from Facebook, we're really glad you're with us. Uh, I'm going to lead us in a little prayer here in just a moment. Before I do that, let me just read for you uh, just a couple of verses of scripture if I can. It's the beginning of the book of Acts. Uh, And just kind of understand real quick, quickly, the book of Acts was written by Luke. Uh, He's the only well, I was going to say the only Gentile who's written a portion of Scripture. That's not true. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar also did. And it's included in the book of Daniel. But he's the only Gentile who wrote any portion of the New Testament. He was a doctor by training. Uh, but he was very much, uh, and it, this comes very, very clearly when you read through the Gospel of Luke. He was, he thought like a historian. Okay? He, he constantly uses these little uh, t- tags in his gospel and in the book of Acts that gives you like key dates, key time frames. Uh, and so he kind of thought like very much like a historian. And in Acts chapter 1, uh, and, and he wrote this book, he wrote both books to a guy named Theophilus. Okay? So it's written for you, it's written for me, but it was written to a guy named Theophilus, most likely a high ranking Roman official. Uh, And we know this because he was referred to as most excellent. That's how Luke uh, addressed him in in the Gospel of Luke. And so when he's writing to him in the book of Max, or excuse me, in the book of Acts, Max, Acts, I've been thinking about our our nephew Mac the last couple of days. Uh, You know, actually there's a new book in the Bible. It's called the book of Max. If you haven't read it yet, you should read it. but what, what Luke writes, he says, in my, thor- uh, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, those are important words. Because he speaks of Luke as the beginning of all that Jesus began to do and to teach, which means that the book of Acts is the continuation uh, of what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is teaching. And he says this in verse 2. He says, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles uh, he had chosen. And the Holy Spirit, the way Jesus uh, is at work in his world today is by the Holy Spirit through you and through me. Did you know that? Did you know Jesus is working right now? He's working right now. He's working by the Holy Spirit. And He's working through you. He is. He's working through you. And He's working through me. He's working through us. 
And, um, and for us to effectively work, do this work of Jesus, we need the Holy Spirit. We do. We, need, uh, we don't need uh, a, what some people call a second blessing. We do need a second blessing, but we need more than a second blessing. We need a third blessing. We need a fourth blessing. We need a fifth blessing. We need a sixth. A seventh. Every day we need a new blessing. And we need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit every day. Every day. Every day I need that. Uh, if I am going to live my life, if, if I want my life to look like love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control, I need the Holy Spirit. I need to walk by the Spirit day by day, walking in rhythm, walking in step. Not, I don't know if you've ever walked with someone who walks like really, really fast. My daughters walk really, really fast. I walk fast. My daughters walk really fast. Okay? Um, not walking, not, you know, walking behind. The Holy Spirit's not going to run off and leave you behind, okay? But not lagging behind, not running ahead, but just walking by the Spirit. And one of the things that I believe that the church in North America needs today is a new blessing of the Holy Spirit. I believe that this church, our church, needs a new blessing. Of the Holy Spirit. I think we need it every day. And so, um, so um, I'm going to be doing the series on the on the Book of Acts. We're gonna we're calling it Power: How the Spirit Changes Everything. And as we're going through the series, I, I will be talking to you some about the Holy Spirit. Uh, just in the first seven chapters of the Book of Acts, he's mentioned 21 times, 21 times, three times, you know, approximately three times every chapter. And uh, one of the things I'd like to encourage you to think about doing is if you're looking for a good book to read, this book by Max Licato is called Help Us Here. And it's just, uh, I don't know how many chapters total, like 18. But every chapter is like super short. They're like super, super readable. It's not highly technical. Uh, It's just kind of more devotional reflections on who the Holy Spirit is and how he works in our lives. But I would encourage you to maybe think about reading that. Read this not in place of your Bible, but along with your Bible. But let me just pray for us right now uh, for a fresh touch from the Spirit. God, today um, we are so grateful. Uh, We're grateful uh, for what you've done for us through Jesus, that Jesus is alive, uh, and because he is alive, we have new life in him. Uh, and and we're God, we are, we are grateful for your word uh, that encourages us, that it equips us. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of your spirit who empowers us, who fills us, who comforts us, who, um, who consoles us, uh, who is uh, our paraclete, uh, our defender, uh, our advocate. Uh, we are grateful for the gift of your spirit. And Lord, what we want today is we want a fresh outpouring of your spirit in our lives. We want the spiritual renewal that comes with that. Uh, and we want, um, we want to experience that here at Solana Valley. We want to experience that in our lives. We, God, we want to see this renewing work of your spirit in us. 
And we want to see it in uh, every church in our community and across this country. And so, Lord, that's what we, uh, what we ask you for. And um, I just want to commit this to you in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. All right, guys. Hey, let's, do a, uh, let's take a moment. I'd like you to uh, maybe, well, stand up, mingle, uh, greet someone you haven't seen for a while or someone you've never met before, and then everybody else. All right, folks, let's make our way back to our seats. song of invitation. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of sin? Jesus is calling. He's calling. 
Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Come to the altar, everybody. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar, the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior, isn't He wonderful? Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Bow down before Him, He is Lord, for He is Lord of all. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Bow down before him. church. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. 
Let's pray, church. Father, we thank you so very much for the fact because of Jesus, because he is alive, we can boldly approach your throne of grace and find mercy and help in our time of need. We can come to the altar at any time for grace, for forgiveness, for peace, for comfort. You're always there. Your arms are always open. And we praise you for that and for so many other things. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. We're so glad to see all of you today. Welcome. We're glad you're here. And just a quick reminder about our small groups that we have going on here at SBC. And we've got a couple of co-ed groups going on and a new men's group that's starting this week. So I would just like to encourage everybody to get connected in a small group. I think friendships and following Jesus in the relationship with friendships is key. You know, I feel like I do best spiritually when I'm connected with other people who want to follow Jesus and we can meet together and really connect. So I just want to encourage all of you. You can check that out on our SVC app and also on our website under groups and connection. And we'd love to invite you to that. Also, uh, we just want to thank all of you who are faithfully giving to the ministry of Solana Valley Church. And, you know, it's such a joy as a follower of Jesus to give back into investing into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom that's going to last forever. So I want to say a big thank you to all of you who are giving and investing um, in the ministry here at SBC. And um, invite you for your offering. Uh, you can give online. You can also give through our app. And if you're here in person, um, we have a little uh, silver mail slot in the back of the church. You can just put your offering right in there. So thank you for giving to the Lord and building his kingdom. So right now I'm going to say, Gary, come on up. All right. Thank you. Tweet. Appreciate that. Uh, so as, as Joy mentioned about the groups, I, I believe that um, I think being in, together with God's people, worshiping consistently on Sundays is hugely important for our walk with Jesus. Uh, it was the pattern that the early church followed. Uh, it's what we see taught in the scriptures. But I believe that connecting in a small group, there's a kind of connection you get with other people in small groups that you won't necessarily always experience like in a larger group setting. So like Joy said, I think it's absolutely crucial uh, to, to connect. So we, we do have those groups that are starting. I think Sandy and Steve, your group, y'all are going to be actually reading this book together and talking about that. Is that correct? Oh, no. Oh, the study guide off of it. So uh, the men's group, we're just going to take it a chapter a week. Uh, we're going to be looking at that. We'll kick that off on Thursday at 630 at, at my house. And then on Tuesday nights, I think, uh, is that correct? Uh, with Eric and Elsa's group, uh, what they're going to do is they're going to try to follow basically the what I actually talk about on every uh, Sunday morning. So one of the things that I did, I don't know if you noticed this, but in your notes this week, I put on there questions for reflection and then questions for application. Uh, I may have put down too many questions. Uh, I just kind of threw them down, and I thought, well, maybe this will help the group, and maybe it doesn't, but I, I did it. You know, I, I did it anyway. Uh, so today, anyway, we're kicking off a brand-new series. Uh, we're kicking off a new series on the book of Acts. And let me mark this in my Bible. I kind of need to mark where I'm at because I sometimes lose my place. Um, so um, let me talk to you a little bit about how Acts has made a difference in my life. Can I do that? Um, 
So for me, um, you know, most of y'all know something about my story, but when I was 16 years old, I recommitted my life to Christ. And at that time, uh, I was like, okay, now what's my next step? What's my next step in following Jesus? Because for me, it wasn't just a commitment to, you know, I wanted God to make a difference in my life. I knew that I needed to follow him on a daily basis. I knew I need, needed to take concrete steps on a daily basis. And so one of the things I thought, well, I need to be in the Word of God. I know that, you know, because that's how God speaks to us, is through His Word. That's the way the Holy Spirit speaks to you, speaks to me, is through, uh, through His Word, through, through the Bible. And I, in my thinking as a 16-year-old, I was thinking, well, I kind of know a lot about Jesus already. Uh, so I thought, well, I, instead of starting with the Gospels, I'll start with the very next book, the book of Acts. And so I began reading my Bible that very next day, Acts chapter 1, and then just read a chapter a day till I read through all the New Testament, came back, read through all the Gospels, came back, read through all of the Old Testament, and just kept reading. And I've been reading pretty much every day since then. Uh, that's what I've been doing for the last, I don't know, almost, I'm, I'm 63, so I would have, that would be 47 years, I guess. 47 years, that's what I've been doing. And uh, just reading through the Bible again and again and again. So Acts had a profound impact on my life as a really a very, very young Christian following Jesus, trying to discover more about who God is and how he works in our lives. Uh, the other experience I had that was, for me, noteworthy from the book of Acts uh, happened when I was a little bit older. Uh, I was actually uh, around 30 years old. I had been working as a youth evangelist. Uh, in SoCal at the time, and uh, I knew that God wanted me to, uh, uh, to, to I, I knew that God was steering me in a new direction. And so uh, I packed up all my stuff, moved, left San Diego, uh, moved to Dallas, Texas, where I started going to school full-time uh, at Dallas Theological Seminary, which was great, a great experience for me. And while I was in those early days there at Dallas Seminary, I was reading devotionally through the book of Acts uh, again and again. And I was just asking God, God, how do you want me to invest my life in building your kingdom? I just kept asking God, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to invest my life in building your kingdom? I knew that God wanted me to study, practice, and teach God's word. God had shown me that, that that was something he wanted me to do. But I thought, well, I can do that in a lot of different contexts. I knew that, you know, I could either go and I could be the pastor of a smaller church. I knew I could go. I could be an associate pastor in a larger church. I also knew that with my training, I could go into a Bible college uh, and, and teach Bible in a Bible college type of an environment. Uh, but it wasn't clear to me what kind of context God wanted me to continue my study, practice, and teaching of God's Word. And as I was reading through the book of Acts... I believe that God was saying to me at that time, because Joy and I weren't yet married, I believe that God was saying to me in a very, very clear way, Gary, I want you to plant a church that makes disciples, make disciples that plant churches and plant churches to reach our world. And it's something that I saw as I was reading and studying through the book of Acts, and I was seeing how uh, these early Christians would plant new churches and how they were reaching more and more people. And it just was very, very clear to me that that's what God wanted me uh, to do. So uh, the book of Acts, uh, very quickly, why does the church in North America, and our church in particular, need 
to take a fresh look at the book of Acts. And, and I believe that, that the reason we need to really look at what Acts teaches is because we need, I believe, a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. I do. I, I, I think there are some things that we just simply cannot do in our own strength and our own energy. I can't do it, and neither can you. There's some things that we can only do with a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I believe God wants you to have that experience. And I think He wants you to have it today. And I think He wants you to have it tomorrow, and the next day, and the next. And the book of Acts, uh, more than, there are, the Holy Spirit is mentioned more time in the book of Acts than any other book of the Bible. Did you all know that? Yeah, Holy Spirit shows up more, time, more times in the book of Acts than any other book of the Bible. Uh, and, and I also think we need a better understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, how the Holy Spirit works. And this is something I believe that the church in North America needs today. It's real interesting. A while back I was reading something, not this book by Max Lucado, but it was something else that was published by Max Lucado. It was on the Internet, but I was reading it. And one of the things that Max Lucado said is he said, you know, we don't need a lot of new and fancy programs in our churches. He said, we don't need... Um, I'm trying to remember how he said this. He said, we don't need a lot of new programs. We don't need, um, I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, and I'm drawing a complete blank. Uh, but he was talking about that what the church needs today is, is not new marketing schemes. It's not new programs. Uh, it, really what the church needs today is it needs a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. It needs a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. So with that in mind, let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to read for us uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And, uh, and let's just listen and hear what God's Word has to say to us today. Uh, Acts, I already told you, was written by Luke to a guy named Theophilus, probably a Roman official of some kind, uh, and uh, possibly the patron uh, who supported Luke in the writing uh, of both the, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. But, but Luke writes this, and he says this, and he says this uh, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, that's the Gospel of Luke, okay? In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. Do you see that? Did you you see what the text said there? It says he he, um, presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs. Proofs. He gave them proof. He gave them convincing proof. He gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. You know, it's interesting when I, as a kid, I would read about these different appearances that Jesus would have with his disciples. And I figured, oh, there's like one or two or maybe three or four. Any of y'all ever think like that? There's maybe three or four or five. You know, maybe they caught a glimpse of this kind of ethereal, you know, kind of, I don't know, figure. 
No, 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 no. No, no. Jesus appeared to his disciples with many convincing proofs over a period of 40 days, teaching them, that's what the Bible says, teaching them about the kingdom of God. Wouldn't you love to be in that Bible class? I talked to you about Bible studies a a moment ago. Wouldn't you like to have been in that Bible study? Yeah. He's appearing to them over a period of 40 days. Uh, And he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. And, And what the Bible says is on one occasion while he was eating with them. This is why we should always have refreshments at church. This is why we should always have refreshments in our small groups. On one occasion while he was eating with them. Now understand this. Jesus has risen from the dead. He has a glorified body. He has no need of nutrition. But he's eating with them. You know what I, I love to do? I love having a good meal with good friends. It's one of my favorite things to do. I love having a good meal with people I love, whether it's my family or friends. I just, you know, and, and, and that's what Jesus did. He, he's not eating because he has to, because he needs to. I think he's eating out of the sheer delight of being in relationship with his disciples. He's eating with them. Where am I at? What verse, Joy? Four. Four. Okay, thank you. I appreciate my wife. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem. Don't leave. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. God has a gift for you, for me. Wait for the gift. Wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. Oh, I wonder what gift that is. You go back, you read John 14 through 16, you'll read about the gift. He says, um, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water. John baptized with water. But in a few days, a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We read about this in Acts chapter 2. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. Then they gathered around Jesus, you know, his apostles, disciples. They they gathered around Jesus. They're excited. They're excited. They're gathering around him, and they ask him, Lord, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? This is a perfectly, this is a wonderful question. Are you, at this time, going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It makes perfect sense. Jesus has come. He has died. You know, before the death of Jesus, no Jew would have ever believed that a person would have been resurrected from the grave until the final resurrection, when all people are resurrected. But after the resurrection of Jesus, no Christian could imagine a Messiah who is not risen from the dead. So to them, it makes perfect sense. This must be the time. Jesus has died. 
He died for our sins. He rose again on the third day. He's been appearing to us, talking to us about the kingdom of God. This must be the time. And not only that, he's told us that we're going to have the Holy Spirit. And back in, in, in the prophets, Ezekiel, it talked about this future time, this new covenant where there would be this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So this is a very reasonable question to ask. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. That's, this is, it's not for you to know God's timetable about these things. You know, I, I, sometimes I wish that I knew God's timetable. Do you, do you feel that way? He's like, God, can't you just give me an itinerary for my life, please? You know? And I don't like getting caught by surprise. Come on. You know? All I'm asking for, just be polite. Just give me a few days advance notice, all right? Give me an itinerary. He said, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father is set by his own authority, but you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes. I mean, it's like he says the words and boom, he's taken up. Just like that. Very abrupt. Very abrupt. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. When suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee. They said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Why? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I'm sorry, I just had this image in my mind. Um, I, have, I have kids. Y'all know that. Matt just learned it right now. We have kids, we do. Our kids used to be little. You know what it's like when you drop off a, a child and they're little and you begin to leave and they're like, no, mommy, daddy, please don't go. You know how little kids can be like that? I kind of see the, the disciples kind of being like that. Oh, Jesus, don't go. This isn't the way we planned it. And they're looking into heaven. And the angels reassure him that he's coming back the same way he left. Um, let me just pray for us, and then we'll, let's dig into this a little bit. Can we do that? God, you are great. You are awesome. You are good. Lord, you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You have given us your spirit to seal us for the day of redemption. You have given us your spirit to fill us, uh, to to be our advocate, uh, to, uh, to be our counselor, to be our comforter, to console us, to encourage us, to instruct us, to lead us, guide us, and teach us. And, and uh, today, Holy Spirit, we ask you to guide us, lead us in the instruction of your word and how you want us to live. I pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. After Jesus presented himself alive to his disciples with many convincing proofs. Did you hear me say that? Yeah. Did you hear the Bible say that? After Jesus presented himself alive to his disciples with many convincing proofs, he told them that they were to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Did you hear me say that? You heard the, the Bible say that. Uh, it, so he, after Jesus presented himself alive to his disciples with many convincing proofs, he told them that they were to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit who would empower them to be witnesses for him. And then he ascended into heaven. Now, there are several things that we could focus on here today, but, but what does this text mean for you and me right now? Okay? What did it mean for the original disciples, but how does it apply for us today in our time and in our place? Because this text was written to a person, Theophilus, but it was also written for people, you and me. It's actually supposed to shape the way we think, it's actually supposed to shape our affections. It's actually supposed to shape our attitudes and how we approach life. And it's actually supposed to shape our priorities, our pursuits. So let me share with you four things real quick from this text that I think are important. Number one, our faith is founded on convincing proofs. Now, let me tell you that there is something that annoys the heck out of me. I'm just going to tell you this. This annoys me. It really annoys me when someone says, faith is believing in something you cannot know to be true. Whenever someone says, faith is believing in something you cannot know to be true, I'm like, that does not show up anywhere in the Bible. That's not faith. That's being foolish. That's like believing in, I hope this doesn't ruin it for anybody, Santa Claus. Actually, I think we can know he's not true, okay? Um, believing in something you can't know to be true is a blind, irrational leap, but it's not faith. See, faith is completely rational. It's very rational. We are made rational creatures. And God reasons with us. In fact, if you read through the scriptures, you'll see how God reasons with his people. Reason is important. And faith is important. And these are not two things that are at odds with each other. These are two things that work together. That for us, our faith um, is founded on many convincing proofs. Many convincing proofs. Many convincing proofs proofs that Luke is trying to drive something home for Theophilus then and you and me today that when when Jesus appeared to these his original apostles and disciples he gave them many com convincing proofs how do you explain someone like like Peter how do you explain someone like Peter denying Jesus but then being willing to be crucified upside down. Because he saw many convincing proofs that Jesus was risen. And he was also filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you explain how do you explain that someone like James, son of Zebedee, one of the original twelve, 
was willing to be beheaded for his faith in Jesus is because he saw many convincing proofs. Why do we? Uh, why, why would someone like John, John the Apostle, the only apostle to die of natural causes, how do you explain someone like John being willing to be boiled in oil and then uh, to be exiled to the island uh, of Patmos? Would you be willing to proclaim a lie? To have you, to, I, I can't remember which of the apostles it was, but one of them was actually flayed alive, skinned alive, skin torn from his body. That's how he was killed. You know, at some point, I would say, Jesus isn't really risen. The only way to explain what the apostles and disciples did is they actually saw Jesus with many convincing proofs. Our faith is founded on convincing proofs. It's very, very interesting. Uh, there's this guy, N.T. Wright, who is a, he's one of the better theologians in the world today. Uh, New Testament uh, theologian, uh, scholar, uh, used to be the Bishop of Durham, and, uh, but really, you know, top-shelf Bible scholar. But N.T. Wright talks about this in his book, Surprised by Hope. And he said this, he said, if you were writing the Gospels, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you were writing the Gospels and you wanted to convince people that Jesus was risen from the dead when it wasn't true, you would never write the Gospels the way they wrote the Gospels. You know why? You know who the first person was to the tomb after Jesus was risen on Easter Sunday in the Gospel of Matthew? Yeah, it was, it was women in the, the Gospel of Mark. You know who the first people to the tomb were in, in the Gospel of Mark? Women. In, in the Gospel of Luke, do you know who the first people were at the tomb when Jesus was risen? Women. In the Gospel of John, do you know who the first people were to the tomb when Jesus was risen? Women. Now, that's important because in the ancient world, in a Jewish court of law, the testimony of women was not considered reliable testimony. Did you know that? They considered the testimony of women was not reliable. If you are trying to advance a lie about Jesus being resurrected from the dead, you would never have women as the first witnesses of the empty tomb and the first witnesses of the risen Christ. You would have men. But the very fact that it was written the way it was gives evidence that it was women who were there first. That, that Jesus, our faith in Jesus, is built on convincing proofs. Um, I read out a bunch of stuff here. I want to read it to you, and I'm not. Uh, let me just say this. Can a person have faith in Jesus and have questions? Of course. Of course. Okay? Uh, you, know what, you know what children do when they're beginning to learn? They ask questions. Uh, you ever hear a little child say, why? And you answer, and they say, why? And you answer, and they say, why? And they keep asking, why? Because they're smart. They're smart. They're learning. See, that's how we learn, by asking questions. And, and, and um, you can be, you can have faith and have questions. So let me ask you this. 
Can you have faith and doubt? Yes and no. I'm going to say yes and no. I See, I think that doubt, at least the way it's treated in the Scripture, is a little bit different from asking questions. See, doubt, doubt, it's not uncommon for people who have faith to also have doubt. But this is what I want you to understand, is that the more a person focuses on their doubts, the more their faith shrivels. Did you know that? And the more people focus on their faith, the more doubt shrivels. One of the things that we see in the Scriptures is oftentimes when it speaks of doubt, not always, but when it speaks of doubt, oftentimes it speaks of moral issues. Okay? So Jesus rebukes his disciples for doubting. He rebukes them. Why? Because it has a moral element to it. That oftentimes with doubt, doubt is sometimes driven by something that is not that a person doesn't have a lack, uh, a lack of information. That's not what drives doubt. Oftentimes what drives doubt are other issues in our lives. In other words, we don't believe that God's going to get it right. Do you understand what I'm saying here? We don't believe that God's going to get it right. It, then oftentimes, let me give you a completely different example. A young man, young man sleeping with his girlfriend. Not married. He's enjoying it. It's a great time. Sex is really enjoyable. And he loves having sex without commitment. He loves having sex without commitment. Yeah, because he can be completely selfish in the whole thing. Begins to have doubts about God. Why? It's because he really likes the lifestyle he's living, and it's easier to doubt God and engage in something that God says, you know, the way I intend it is I intend you to enjoy this very much. In fact, you're supposed to have all the sex you can inside the context of marriage. By the way, one of the things the enemy likes to do is he likes to get people to have a lot of sex outside of marriage and then keep people from having sex entirely in marriage. And the world glorifies this. But God had a better intention for us. He intended us to really enjoy sexual commitment in the context of a covenant relationship of marriage. So what happens is that sometimes when people are struggling with areas of immorality in their life, it's very convenient to begin to doubt God. You understand what I'm saying? Because you don't want to be accountable for your actions. I had this conversation with a woman uh, from Germany many years ago. But, but uh, can we have doubt and have faith? I, I'm going to say that... that uh, I'll say what, uh, what's the guy's name? Dallas Willard said, is it's okay to doubt your faith. Just be sure to doubt your doubts. See, a lot, today, a lot of people, I don't know if you've heard of deconstructionism, and you hear this talk about deconstructing the church and deconstructing faith and all this kind of stuff. And, and I think what we really need to deconstruct is deconstruction. You understand what I'm saying? We need to, if we're going to deconstruct all these other things, why don't we deconstruct deconstructionism too? Perfectly logical, right? If we're going to doubt faith, why not also doubt doubt? Well, it's not hip and cool to doubt doubt. It's not hip and cool to deconstruct deconstructionism. I got way off track. I apologize. Bottom line, what I want you to understand is this, is that our faith... Our faith is founded on convincing proofs. Number two, the Holy Spirit is our power source for life and ministry. 
uh, in the little book I was sharing with you a moment ago, Max Lucado. Max Lucado says this. He says, mark it down. Mark it down. The Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit comes with power. Mark it down. The Holy Spirit comes with power. Power, power to make good choices. Power to keep promises. Power to silence the inner voices of fear and failure. Power. Power to get out of bed. Power to get on with life. Power to get busy about the right things in the right way. Power to face the unexpected. Unwanted passages of time. Power. This is what Jesus promised then, and this is what Jesus promises still. That God gives you, God gives me power through the Holy Spirit for life and for ministry. Please, please, please say with me, I am a minister of God. You are a minister of God. That is the teaching of the Bible. Uh, too often, I think people look and say, well, no, the pastor's the minister. The pastor's supposed to do this. The pastor's supposed to do that. The pastor's supposed to do this. And sometimes we like to pass the buck. When actually it's not his responsibility, her responsibility, it's my responsibility. And God has given you his spirit to empower you for ministry. You have relationships with people. I have no connection with them. They don't give a rip about what I think or what I say. But they care a lot about what you think and what you say. You have a ministry I could never have. Billy Graham could never have it. It is your ministry. And God has given you His Spirit to empower you to be His for life and for ministry. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's what the Bible says. You will receive power. God is uh, giving you His Spirit as your power source for life and ministry. Uh, number three. Number three. Our mission is to be witnesses for Christ. Our, our ministry, our, our mission is to be witnesses for Christ. What, what Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, when Jesus said that, when he said those words, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Fairfield, California was the ends of the earth back then. Did you know that? So soon California was the ends of the earth back then. That's right. Vacaville was the ends of the earth back then. See, see the... Um, you know, I, I really bugs me when people talk about missions and they always talk about someplace, something that we do overseas. No, missions is what we do right here. You know, what, what Jesus told his disciples, you're going to be my witnesses right here in Jerusalem. And then you're going to be my witnesses in all Judea Samaria. And then you're going to be my witnesses uh, to the ends of the earth. By the way, if you read through the book of Acts, this is what you need to understand. Uh, Acts chapter 1 through 7 is about the disciples, the apostles, being uh, witnesses for Jesus in, in Jerusalem. The, the chapters 8, 
through 12 is about how people were scattered, not the apostles, but the other Christians were being witnesses for Jesus in Judea and Samaria. And then chapters 13 to chapter 28 is about how uh, the, 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 the church in Antioch sent off Paul and Barnabas, Silas, John Mark, and others to be missionaries throughout the rest of the ancient world. In, in chapter 28, you begin in, in chapter 1, you're in Jerusalem, you end in chapter 28, guess where? In Rome. Chapter 28 is Rome. In Rome. By the way, in chapter 1, Jesus is teaching his apostles about the kingdom of God. In chapter 28, in Rome, Paul is teaching the people about the kingdom of God. Um, the, the point for you and me is that our, our mission is to be witnesses for Christ in our Jerusalem, right where we live, uh, the people that we are among. Uh, the, the words witness, witnesses uh, occur 166 times uh, in the Bible. They show up uh, in the book of Acts about, uh, about 20 times. And, um, and basically what a, a witness does is they just tell their story. In a court of law, anybody ever been on a jury before? Okay, or a bailiff? <laughs> if you've ever been in a court of law, or maybe you've watched, I don't know, some TV program, what does a witness do? They just tell people what they saw. They just tell people what they know. See, you're not called to be an expert on anything. Did you know that? You don't have to be an expert. You just have to tell people your story. What you know to be true, what you've seen, what you've experienced. And that's what God wants for you. He, he wants you to be prepared to share with other people. Uh, you, you know, it's really interesting, John chapter 9, there's this kind of interesting, cool story where there's this guy, he's blind, he's born blind. Jesus heals him. The religious leaders are very perplexed, uh, very upset, very anxious, because Jesus healed someone on a Sabbath. To me, I'd be like, well, he healed someone. Who cares what day it is, all right? He healed a blind man. This guy's been blind since birth. And, and they're very upset because it's like, well, wait a second. If he healed on the Sabbath, instead of thinking, well, he's a, you know, he's got to be somebody special, they're thinking, oh, he's got to be a, a sinner because he healed someone on the Sabbath. And, and so they, 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 the religious experts come to the man who was formerly blind, and they're like, you know, we know this man is a sinner. And the blind man, this is what the blind man says in John chapter 9, verse 25. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. By the way, one thing, I was blind, but now I see. His testimony in seven words. You know how I've talked about having your faith, writing out your faith story in 100 words or less? Here's a guy who did it in seven words. I was blind, now I see. See, that's all God wants for you. He's not asking you to be able to answer every question that people ask, but only answer one question. What is the reason for your faith? Uh, in First Peter chapter uh, 3, uh, the Scripture says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Be ready. You know, the Boy Scout, always ready, always prepared. Uh, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. That's what we're supposed to do. 
That's what we're supposed to be as witnesses for Jesus. Number four, fourth thing I want you to see in the text is this, is that our Lord has ascended to heaven, but he's coming again. Our Lord has ascended to heaven. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to turn to this real quick. Ephesians chapter 1. You know, you know what, what, what the scripture says here, excuse me, let me read to you what it says right here. It says that, that after Jesus had said these things, verse 9, he was taken up before their very eyes in a cloud and hid from their sight. And, and so he's taken up into heaven. And so what on earth is Jesus doing up there? What on earth is Jesus doing up there? And it's, it's real fascinating. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says this. It says, uh, it's talking about uh, the power of, God's power towards those who believe. And the Bible says this. It says, that power, the power of God towards those who believe, is the same mighty strength that God exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. See, Jesus has ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. He is the one who has sent us to go and make disciples. He is the one who's told us that he's going to give us his spirit to empower us to be witnesses for him. Our Lord has ascended to heaven, but he's also coming again. Uh, So what's the timetable? Is it at this time? God, you're going to restore the kingdom to heaven? Uh, I would say Howard Marshall, NT, uh, a, a New Testament scholar, um, Howard, Howard uh, Marshall says this. He says, you know, there are a lot of people who like to engage in apocalyptic speculation about the second coming of Jesus. Uh, when I was in seminary, when I was in seminary back in the 90s, I, I tr- was trained, studied under a guy named Dwight Pentecost. Also studied under a guy, guy named John Walford. Dr. Walford, Dr. Pentecost have written, you know, uh, Pentecost's book on the second coming of Jesus is like about this thick. It's huge. Uh, you know, and uh, I remember one day we were in class, and has anybody ever heard of Hal Lindsey or heard of the book, The Late Great Planet Earth? It was a bestseller back in the 1970s. Um, made him millions. Made him millions. I remember I was in class. We were in class one day, and we were talking, and someone brought up Hal Lindsey. And Dr. Pentecost said this. He said, you know, if Lindsey had paid attention in class, he would have never written that book. There, there is a kind of preoccupation with the second coming of Jesus that gets, it competes with what we're supposed to be doing. There is a way of focusing on the second coming, if we're not careful, that that basically ignores the very teaching of Jesus. Because Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you shall be my witnesses. You see, that's the preoccupation. It's Our preoccupation is not apocalyptic speculation our occupation preoccupation is to be following Jesus being empowered by his spirit and being witnesses for him 
until he comes again. And that's what the Bible said. Let me pray for us. Uh, I'll go ahead and ask the worship team to come on back up. Uh, God, I want to pray uh, that you would teach us to walk daily in fellowship with your spirit. Lord, teach us to do that. Uh, Lord, I pray that when we uh, get up tomorrow, we will pray, we will ask you for a fresh filling, a fresh anointing of your spirit in our lives. Lord, help us just to walk in fellowship with you moment by moment. Help us just to deepen our intimacy with, with, with the Lord Jesus moment by moment. And, and Lord, as we are following Jesus and walking by the Spirit, I pray that our lives will be shaped by the fruit of the Spirit, by your love and your joy and your peace and your patience, your kindness and your goodness, your faithfulness, your gentleness and your self-control. Lord, I pray that people will see evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives today and tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. Uh, I, I pray, God, that you would fill us with your spirit and fill us with power. Power to be witnesses. Lord, help us to be good witnesses wherever we are, whoever we're with. Just help us to be good, faithful witnesses. Lord, help us to learn how to, I don't know, to, to tell our story like a blind man in seven words or to tell in a hundred. But, Lord, help us to, to, to learn how to tell our story, to be witnesses of what you've called us to, to witness to and witness about. But to do this not legalistically, not legalistically, Lord, I, I pray that we won't get into a legalistic application of this, but more of a joyful application of all of this. That it would become a joy in our hearts that is contagious. That we would have so much joy in our hearts of what you've done for us, it would be the most natural thing in the world to tell others about it. Not in a pushy way, but in a gentle and reverent way, as your word says in First Peter. Lord, I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. So Jesus is coming again. And until that day comes, we have the privilege of being his witnesses. We get to let people know, as the words in this next song say, we get to let people know that he can be their comfort and their shelter and their tower of refuge and strength. What a privilege that is, everybody. Let's stand together and let's encourage one another and encourage ourselves in worship, shouting to the Lord one more time.
Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. Forever I love you, forever I'll stand. Nothing compared to the promise I have Jesus, my Savior, no, there is none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. You're my comfort, my comfort, my shelter, tower.